And we're live. Welcome again for European and US perspectives on a variety of issues. So welcome to this show to all of you and our host in uh, Connecticut. I believe that's where you are today. And Antifa, now that has troubled the US, particularly during the hot days of lockdown, when suddenly it was found, well, you know, going and writing on the street wasn't so detrimental to public health after all. Uh, suddenly that seemed to have cured COVID. But there's an interesting link to Antifa and Germany. I'm going to play the ball into your court, uh, Todd, before it comes back into our court, what we know about this interesting um, club, we shall say. Well, I, uh, I mentioned this to you guys a few days ago after Tucker uh, broke on his uh, story. with It broken before, but he made it nationwide that the German, possibly the German intelligence services were behind some of the uh, censoring going on in the U.S. through various channels. We have been reporting uh, since really 2019, I guess, from one of our reporters uh, in Eastern Europe who's done a lot of digging on the information operations happening throughout the Bernie Sanders and then the Trump campaigns and then actually back to Maidan in 2014. Uh, and a lot of the, uh, th there's a lot of links to Antifa and to Black Lives Matter and back to Germany. So Brennan, actually, the, the biggest place where Ukrainians, um, and we're thinking these are Ukrainian nationalists, were resettled in the U.S. with Seattle and Portland uh, prior to a lot of the riots. So we have that, and then there's links back, as I mentioned, to the German Pirate Party and other things who may have been running some of these demonstrations. So the, the whole fascinating piece is, you know, Germany has a history of this some time ago, and uh, is that coming back? And has it spread through other uh, uh, brown shirts, if you will, around the world, uh, the same ideology? And I'll, I'll flip it back to you guys. Well, thank you. And and Todd, when you when you shared the story with us, my first initial thought was a thing or two to say about that. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Christians. Um, he was frozen. Anyways, um, so, anyways, I um, my my first initial thought about this was um, since when do the intelligence services? Since when does the German government act so quote unquote assertive? I'll put it into that manner. Um, because if you look, sort of study the, re the, the, the history of the uh, German intelligence services, the BND, and the way the government operates on a foreign level, um, it's more or less like these guys are very subservient to what um, the American intelligence services basically dictate them to do. And on the other hand, um, they are not really taken seriously by intelligence services from even the more uh, bigger neighboring European countries. So to me, hearing this, it more or less comes to a surprise. Um, having said that, um, I obviously, you know, you, you, you should never be surprised by anything coming from this direction. But um, I would want to know who really is behind it. Like, what is the motive? What would be the motive of the of the German government to do this? Obviously, this was during the year 2020, during the uh, still uh, Trump era. Um, and um, I could not say that the German government or Angela Merkel or anybody would be a great friend of Trump. But would they be assertive enough to use kind of these mechanisms to destabilize the U.S.? Do they even have the power to do this? I do throw that into question. Um, having said that, um, I do want to just recently um, 
say a couple of things about Antifa and some of the things that I've witnessed here in, in Hamburg, and then I'll play the ball to Christian and Lucas. Um, a couple of things about Antifa is that obviously within Germany, they have done everything possible to destabilize any sort of um, uh, conservative voices that, that are heard. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was actually in an economics lecture um, when the uh, former AFD founder Bernd Lucke um, returned to his job as an economics professor at the University of Hamburg. I was in his first lecture um, having returned from the European Parliament and Antifa stormed the lecture, right? So um, that was that was sort of one of my closest encounters I have with these people. And another interesting thing is that um, in, in Hamburg, early 2020, there were marches against Angela Merkel. People went on the street and said, we need to protest against Angela Merkel. Well, who came up and rose to the occasion to fight, quote these people? It was uh, Antifa. So that's what I find kind of interesting. I mean, you have a, um, a, a so-called center-right chancellor. It would be like if Jeb Bush was president and the Tea Party was marching against Jeb Bush and then Antifa came to the defense of Jeb Bush. That's sort of mm -hmm. for an American audience how I would relate this. I mean, this is just nuts. This is mm -hmm. absolutely insane. But the, the thing about Antifa, what, what I find so interesting, and this is this is on both sides of the Atlantic, they're trying to talk this organization down as something that doesn't exist. Do you remember Joe Biden and this pathetic statement in the um, in the debate saying Antifa? What was it? Something like Antifa isn't a thing. It's not an organization or something like that. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. he tried to play it down, and Trump, I mean, just reacted accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is sort of the notion that we've constantly heard. And um, Antifa isn't a thing. Antifa isn't anything. They're not an organization. Um, but actually, you do see their um, footprints and fingerprints all over the place. And they have, in, in my view, um, done anything that has, I mean, you can't name yourself an anti-fascist organization and everything you do is completely fascist. The way you act, you're, it's, it's a red brown shirt organization, as you've mentioned it. So, um, but as far as the German government being um, active in this, in this, in this uh, um, occasion, you know, obviously the story has not broken over here at all. And why should it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who would want to spread that narrative here? But um, it, it would be interesting to hear from Lucas and Christian's perspective on as far as um, how, how they see it. Let me just say that real quick, the, the story that Tucker broke was the, I forget her name. She is a, a woman that was on social media doxing a lot of people. And they found out that the funding from her came from an organization that has roots uh, to the German intelligence services. So that's how that came through. Well, I just inter Interestingly, um, Germany is not just fund them through intelligence services, but also through like general public funding. Some months ago, um, it was made public that there's even the so-called democratic meme factory, which got like 130,000 euros um, to make an Instagram channel promoting memes against racism, et cetera, which, um, yeah. 
turned out to have like 400 followers or something that was like from an economical perspective that was completely useless you basically can tell that the government just funded their way of life which is probably a very weird way of life but apart from that you can say that they just they don't do it just covertly they also do it overtly um it's very interesting that we're discussing this antifa topic today on may day which is labor day in all of europe um, given the fact that there used to be um, huge demonstrations, like uh, when I moved to Hamburg um, nine years ago, typically May Day meant that people went to the streets and there's like a lot of rioting as well, et cetera. Um, that somehow has, I don't want to say dumped down a little, but it just like given the fact that the whole COVID situation made like made people um, avoid the streets, et cetera, you can tell there's been less violence. However, this morning there's actually been the official um so the official protest of i think the uh dgb the german um union syndicate or something um and interestingly they they had participants from the left wing from die linke which is literally the left as a party so it's like the left most political party that's represented in parliaments in germany uh, it's the successor party of the pds the party of german socialism which in turn is the legal successor of the um, sed the socialist uh, unity party of eastern germany which is why uh, western or like which is why parties to the center or parties to the right refer to the Linke as the um, Mauerschützenpartei, which is like the Berlin Wall Shooters Party. Um, and you had a lot of these people like her supporters or even members of, the, of this party who were demonstrating against um, against the West's movements in Ukraine, like delivering weapons to Ukraine, funding Ukrainian um, resistance, et cetera. And this actually turned into an interesting Twitter debate between Green Party people and Left Party people, where um, some people from Hamburg's governing Green Party were like, this is very anti, anti-fascist. So you can, you can tell there's not a straight line what anti-fascism um, is meant to be. And now, given the fact that uh, they need to decide where to go. They actually have their own issue of like splintering up a bit. But just to to sum it up, um, this Antifa activism uh, from an American perspective in Germany, probably something that Americans completely underestimate um, simply because of the um, huge public funding. Like I mentioned there's, or Todd, you mentioned there's covert funding. Mm -hmm. Fabian, you mentioned this covert funding. I mentioned before there's open funding through the Democratic Meme Factory, et cetera. Like you can read it on the, uh, it's on the Bundestagsdrucksache, like the the print protocols of German Congress. And there's also this kind of intermediary funding through things like the Amadeo Antonio Foundation, which Christian will probably uh, tell us more about later on, is like a foundation that is supposed to promote democracy, et cetera. But they do so very selectively. Like you can tell, um, their concept of democracy is not one of liberal democracy, of like multi-party democracy. It's just one that they embrace. And they, the kind of democracy they embrace is one where um, everyone has everything and everything is basically nothing. Like if you don't own anything, um, you need to share everything. Yeah, thank you, Lucas. I think um, that was a good sort of uh, pass for me to, to catch. Um, so probably for an American audience, it's it's very hard. It's one of these moments where it's very illustrative how much more statist Germany 
is than the United States. And Lucas mentioned these political party foundations. So every major political party. And again, it's not a winner-takes-all system. It's essentially proportional representation. So I'm not sure how many parties there are now in our parliament. Is it six? I think so. Something like that. And these political parties each have their own political foundation, which takes care of training. Say, for instance, the German Conservative or Christian Democrat Party has their own um, foundation called the Konrad Adenauer Foundation. They um, fund a lot of um, endeavors. So that can start as, as humbly as we provide speech training to people involved in conservative endeavors or debate training. So I've received some funding. We fund scholarships for conservatives. We fund sort of doctrinal uh, literature. We fund this and this. And that exists for every single party, except interesting enough, they've been stalling for such a party to emerge uh, for Germany's center-right party, the AMD. But this all is public funding. So there's none of the US bit where you need to go around with like in church with a hat and ask for money. It is publicly guaranteed funding. And the parties have ways to ramp this up. So it's kind of like a free all-you-can-eat buffet. And it just knows one direction going up, up, up. So their coffers are full. And many of these political foundations, it gets further. I mean, I was sort of an exchange student in Santiago de Chile, dogs, years ago. And I walked past and the and I saw a sign of the Friedrich Ebert Foundation, which belongs to the German Social Democrat Party funding um, bits. So they've got even foreign um, offices. They're that well funded and they fund all kind of silly and not so silly and sometimes even nefarious bits. So this is how well resourced the German political parties are. Now, Lucas, hold on one thing too, and yeah. and just with with these organizations, this is a big soft power element that has to be mentioned. Um, these these uh, foundations, they as as Christian just mentioned, they have offices in different countries. States use these offices sometimes as a back channel if they don't want to go through the embassy. So, for example, the governing party now, the SPD. If you do not want to talk through the ambassador, you'll go over the through the foundation. It'll be like the Friedrich Ebert office Moscow, right? <laughs> or or Friedrich Ebert office Rome or wherever, and they will talk through the through the um, um, the person that um, liaison that guy right? office in those countries. So they, the, the, whenever a party governs, the person who runs these offices in those countries is somewhat considered an ambassador, but de facto, not de jure. No, I think this is an excellent they, addition. They have so it shows political power. So that's yeah, just it shows that. how powerful and how well-resourced they are. And um, it is also, it's in, in our, um, anchored in our um, constitution, which actually says the political parties are the main form of forming the public's political will, something. So, and from that, these incredibly full coffers um, stem a lot of uh, programs. So Lucas has mentioned this far left organization called the Amadeo Antonio uh, Foundation, which essentially was set up. The, it was named after a Mozambican guy, I think, who got killed by some neo-Nazis in the early 1990s. But they have been founding very far left causes or very selectively suddenly they discover democracy. There are other programs. I'm, I'm just going to name a couple. So there is this funding program for living democracy of the Federal Ministry of Family, Seniors, Women and Youth. Make of that title and of the 
sensibility of such a, uh, a ministry existing what you want, but they uh, found uh, founded 400,000 euros for like black empowerment and a lot went into Antifa's coffers and went into Black Lives Matter related kind of um, endeavors. 280,000 from this very federal ministry, you know, might as well be called Ministry of Silly Walking because their, their description is so outrageous, I find, um, went into the coffers of an overtly Islamic organization. And then 170 odd thousand went into an Antifa project called the Ghetto Story. Like we don't really have ghettos per se in Germany. So when I'm talking about ghettos, I'm really you know meaning like social, um, socially troubled area. But yeah, so the German word Keats would kind of translate roughly into ghetto. And then, but we don't really have them. Nothing compared to what certain neighborhoods, like say in Detroit, uh, for instance, would look like. So there's a lot of public funding kicking around. And as I, as we tried to explain last time, there's, we've got this weird, super fragmented political system, highly, highly resourced, highly fragmented, but um, which kind of speaks with a lot of voices. And we've got this strange, well-meaning, but not very competent political elite. So I'm always would describe Germany as a country that is superbly well administrated. We've got a competent administration. We've got a disastrous way to, to uh, recruit our political elites. At least in the United States until say 20 years ago, folks went to schools where at least um, you could be reasonably certain that they were not entirely daft. And um, they could debate quite well. They were typically very presentable people, not so in the German political system, as we exp uh, explained last time. You've got people who enter sort of into the, the political party, a young political party system when they're 14. Most of them never graduate in anything or have any jobs. And so you've got these political elites bumbling around. And so I'm always highly, highly skeptical when the, the when narratives come out, oh, Germany is trying to do this or that. I don't want to dispute Tucker's sources, but I'd be highly surprised why the Secret Service would need to do it because probably a lot of the legal, and as Lucas said, overt public money already flows through all these kind of endeavors. And I'm, I'm quite sure somehow through a couple of, you know, relations twice or thrice removed, they will find their way to Antifa in Portland. But I... I'd be so surprised, particularly as Fabian has already said, our secret service, the German, um, the Bundesnachrichtendienst, which really tra um, translates federal, almost federal news agency, if you translate it literally, or federal intelligence agency, they've been notorious at being very hamstrung by a lot of parliamentary rules. So do you think and, it's, uh, do you think it's just a, a bureaucracy out of control like we have in the US? Yes. Possibly? Absolutely. Or... Yeah. I would make that point and probably not out of malice, but out of sheer incompetence. I mean, that would or be a virtue signal like it's good to support Antifa because everybody tells us it's good. And then people like me if I do this. So I'm going to do this pretty is much. But, but, but again, yeah. so our point is the whole thing is way more complicated than just the German mm -hmm. Federal Intelligence Service. They're probably 20, 30 40 different organizations that will receive public funding and then it goes around and finally trickles and everybody looks good because, you know, who could be uh, not anti-fascist. Mm -hmm. um, so there is no grand destabilization vision again, because our elites are very 
power agnostic in some so ways. You, you don't you don't you don't think that Merkel was as many in the US believe was behind a lot of this uh, fascist so Euro state and you know fascist uh, Euro I mean, state that's gonna grow Germany, in Germany and control the world. <laughs> today's Germany. No, no, no like, like I I always laugh. I always laugh when I see people that still think Germany people wear skulls and say, Are we the baddies? It's it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's so provincial. You have really? to think of today's Germany as so incompetently provincial. Hmm. They will be they will be incredible power players like at the local level. They will know everything about how to manage their local funds and anything they need and how, and, and and to do their 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 power play at a local level. But these people are so incredibly incompetent. When it mm. comes to anything that has to do with geo strategy, I mean, look at this disaster of an of 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 a policy making that the German government is doing right now when it comes to Russia. I mean, how incompetent is that? And so energy, it, it, right? I mean, just exactly. Like it's it's so provincial. It is so there. There's they're not even thinking two steps ahead. And um, I mean, I saw clips of that Tucker, not sorry, Tucker, um, um, what, what's his name? Pierce Morgan and Trump. Um, and it's only a short clip. And Trump just blasted Merkel. <laughs> I mean, he blasted her saying she, she was stupid when it comes to uh, uh, immigration and when it comes to energy. And I told her that. I, I told her I waved the white flag. You're going Love, have you? Right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, he did say he took, he's like, I, I took a napkin and I waved it at her uh, saying, here's the white flag when it comes to Russia. Um, <laughs> I wish I could have seen that. I really wish I could have seen that. And I guarantee you, Merkel just gave him a dumb look and didn't even know what to do. These people do not understand the 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 language of power. They don't. So well, in a in a similar way, you're describing what's happened in the U.S., where we've become, where people uh, outside forces have taken over this bureaucracy and are using it aside from the government is actually doing and and running policy without the government really involved. Just a thought. You know, well, maybe the Soros machine has well, taken I'll, part I'll, of that. I'll put it to you this way. I'm always surprised when I come to the United States mm -hmm. and, you know, visit the place where I have lived for 12 years and just see the difference in the way people think, live, act and do as to the way the the administrative state of the United States is presenting itself in the world. I mean, that there's just yes. their continents. It's a continental yes. divide. It's like the way Obama thinks is not the way any traditional conservative American would ever think. So mm -hmm. yes, there is a great chasm, but but when it comes to to German, look, the, the point I just want to make is if there is some kind of a connection to Antifa, where Antifa all of a sudden acts like an international organization, I just don't see anyone in a German Dracula castle sitting there. We must go global. We must act global. I just don't see it. I only see if there's like an in, in, like which German actually has the insights to American politics that much to do that unless there is some American connection back to it. That's my well, you, you look at Ukraine where you have Soros state capture and they have captured some of the apparatus of the governments the ngos especially and they are running the policy that's my point maybe some of these bureaucratic organizations pots of money are doing things on their own anyway just a thought i don't think that's the case in germany to be honest though it's like um 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say it's a, a bureaucracy uh, turned bad and there's also not really that much malicious intent, I assume. It's like, you know, this principle of Occam's razor, like I think it was William of Occam who like 800 years ago basically said, typically the easiest explanation is also the most likely explanation for something. And with Germany, I think none of our political actors who we've encountered and seen over the last years or decades, like even um, former Chancellor Merkel, I don't think that any of these people really in, had the intent to do something bad. I think it, it just happened and they, they meant well. You know, it's like um, if German democracy were to ever die down, uh, the tombstone of German democracy would stay, they meant well. And they actually did well for pretty long. Like this is um, a bit opposed to Fabian. Like uh, Fabian, you mentioned before, when you're in the United States, it's kind of like a surprise that everything is working the way it is, despite the fact that people are actually not really knowing how it works. While for me in Germany, it's typically the other way around. Everyone knows how it's supposed to work. Um, it's still not working that way. However, there's like an even better way how people made it work. Like I think we're now on the brink of people actually making it work no longer that good simply because there's like so much um turmoil there's so much political change going on right now and frankly spoken fabian you mentioned before and fabian christian you both mentioned the uh, bnd the german um federal like how do you say the federal intelligence intelligence, intelligence service? Yes. Yes. Use that word. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually do think that uh, we're all underestimating them. And I think um, this is the best thing that can happen to intelligence agency that you're basically underestimating them. However, I would like to point out to the American viewership that um, seven years ago, uh, the BND actually had the plan to move from Pulach near Munich to Berlin, like obviously because Berlin used to be um, the only Western outpost um, surrounded by the evil empire of communism. They couldn't really have their um, secret service or intelligence agency based in Berlin. So they went to the suburb Pulach, uh, a suburb of Munich. And some years ago, they decided to finally make the move to Berlin. And seven years ago, they had their own kind of Watergate, which was when Germany's best protected um, construction lot was actually broken into and people stole water faucets, uh, thereby causing millions in damages by just flooding the whole building. Now, um, mm. I would like to say that the BND is a very competent um, intelligence agency, and I'm sure they're listening to all of us um, at times, and good for them that they do. However, at the same time, I do not understand how um, an intelligence agency can have people break into um, its own construction lot and basically damage the whole place. You cannot tell me that this is the work of some teenagers, but I do think there's like an attack by some foreign actor and it just happened and it must not happen. These things must not happen. So one of the examples why I do think that German politics, both open politics, both secret politics and secret politics, it's less of like this evil empire, like Fabian said, or Christian said, there, there's no one uh, sitting, I don't know, 500 feet underneath the ground um, being like, yeah, we, we need to attack this. Uh, we, need to we need to establish Chaz in Seattle or in Portland. <laughs> um, I think that's just that's just but, not. But it would sound more like, yeah, we need to we need to establish Chaz now. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the last thing I'd like to say yeah. is you can. You can tell you can tell that German Antifa um, is just 
pardon my French, batshit crazy. And that there's there's not a central actor um, who's telling them what to do. That's what I meant before. Now that um, the, the classic left-wing policy would be to be uh, pacifist. Now, however, they have this issue, like when they don't deliver weapons uh, to Ukraine, they're somehow catering to the Russians, which is really bad because the Green Party is like, yeah, we're, we're European, we're also anti-war, we're also pacifist, but we also um, now are in governmental responsibility. And like, you can totally tell that Antifa people are crazy and going even crazier in being crazy. Like um, the, the youth wings of political parties, this is a very important thing that is not such a thing in America, I think. Like um, in the US, there's also young Republicans, for example, um, but they're like, first of all, all the state parties were way stronger in the US than the national party, which just comes together to rally around a candidate. In Germany, we've had this uh, in, in an earlier episode of Eurobytes already. I remember um, you have a very strong party on top, the federal one, and this one has 16 um, state departments, basically, like for all German states, has their own state parties. The way more centralism and what we experience right now and you can see that with the green party youth the grüne jugend and the left-wing party youth the links jugend solid um you can see that the youth wings actually call out the part the adult parties for being like crazy or like hawks etc and this this completely shows you how left-wing people have a really hard time um rallying their heads around this whole um this whole ukraine russia special like special intervention or war situation and like there's been maybe we maybe we have a second to talk about this as well there's been this um open letter by german um intellectuals on ukraine and now it's like it's very interesting to see from the left corner of German politics, um, on one side, more activism for Ukraine um, than you would expect. Like the Green Party is sometimes even called the Olive Green Party now, like the German army uh, combat dress, because they're like, they've become real hawks. Like they're the ones who push for tanks to be uh, exported to Ukraine, while the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is very like, I don't want to say he's relaxed, but he's trying to figure out what to do. And he's like trying to, he's trying Definitely to calm every side down. Like still, he still wants to keep up uh, the talk channels to uh, President Putin, which in my opinion is important because not talking at all um, is, not a, is not an alternative either. And uh, this is what I'm closing my statement with. Um, Germans for decades were huge supporters of Wolfgang Ischinger, the man who established the Munich Security Conference. And every single time Wolfgang Ischinger gave an interview on something uh, controversial, he also he always pointed out how important it was to keep talk channels open. And now most Germans are like, no, we should not talk to Putin, and we should we should throw Gatschroda out of the party because he's still talking to Putin. So it's very interesting how German political opinion has shifted over the last months and how, like, this is not a, the really last thing. I think German political education is just very bad and German political long-term memory is just, I don't know, collective Alzheimer's disease or something. And political education is so bad for one reason, because there's also 
private institutions who are allowed to carry out political education, such as the Amadeo Antonio Foundation. They're the people who are allowed, like they're being accredited as the Träger für politische Bildung, which means they're like an official, like they're officially certified that they actually do political education. That means they go to your school. You're a high school student. These people will come and visit you. They will put like they will give you uh, some kind of leaflet where it's like, um, yeah, um, like some years ago they had a campaign which is like no place for neo Nazis. And their definition of neo Nazis basically everything right of the like right of the Green Party. I do think that for the um, Amadeo Antonio Foundation, even Olaf Scholz in his complacency with Putin, as they would say, um, has some neo Nazi white behavior or anything like that. Probably to follow that up, and it may be a segue into a slightly different but related topic. So I'm probably to put a different spin on what Lucas and Fabian said. So I will never exclude somebody very um, well-resourced and certainly with the motive and the means such as George Soros to get involved. In this particular case, I think our argument is he doesn't need to. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's beautiful. If he actually got involved, it would leave too many traces, whereas the whole machinery with all its incompetence and non-strategic thinking grinds on better, almost like in sort of Curtis Yavin or Manchester Moldbach's cathedral, that it's, it's a piece of beauty. He doesn't even need to invest his own money. There's even nothing traceable, and it grinds on, it lands. And I would probably, I was yesterday in a Lego store, and I would probably like to highlight who governs Germany. And this is sort of the Lego Karen I found, which I found particularly funny. And sort of most of the German political establishment is made of these incompetent kind of Karen figures. This is German style Karen. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with a sort of nice Karen Bob. Uh, anyways, so and, and those kind of very incompetent women that so in our last cabinet, one of the many blessings of that cabinet was 50% quota, half of all ministers needed to be female. And then we got a lot of women who were like hilariously incompetent, um, such as our current foreign minister speaks, speaks an awful English, plagiarized the book, um, lied about her <laughs> studies. Um, uh, made all kind of stupid comments, but they, they they ended there. And this is kind of this is a piece of beauty. If I was was George Soros with a truly uh, evil master plan, I'm like, no, 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 let them do what they do because um, it just works too beautifully. But I think Todd, you did mention something. We don't want to dismiss that point. There is something interesting, and we have seen that in the U.S. and probably ties into <laughs> the whole into the whole Twitter thing. Just to mention it, much of the evil stuff that happens, much of the censorship. And Germany has, um, as we mentioned last time, passed the law, the so-called Network Execution Order, um, the Netzwerksdurchsetzungsgesetz. And in there, pretty much all throughout Europe is that privatization of the censorship. So that what makes this mm -hmm. law so incredibly pernicious is it's very, very vague, but at the same time, it threatens tremendous fines. And it allows organizations um, to outsource the censorship to what they call institutions of self-regulation. In Germany, and there's a new EU okay. law on the horizon, which politicians don't get tired about saying, it's all too good now that a right-wing billionaire takes over. How, how terrible a billionaire con co uh, controlling a media empire. Yeah, um, it's strange. all the more important that, 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 that we help that democracy is not endangered by free speech.
curiously enough. And and the, the EU calls that um, publicly certified flaggers. Well, there's, a new, there's a new term in the U.S. that the uh, the regime is using. It's called free speech absolutists. That's an evil. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and again, so a lot of these organizations, I mean, as we've seen, um, there are all these outsourced one arm lengths, two arm lengths yeah. away actors that work all throughout the European censorship laws, of which there are many and of which um, nobody gets tired of pointing at Twitter that like that that is a bad thing, a free speech absolutist <laughs> in power. And, um, and wh whenever I troll these laws, it was sort of an organization of public um, regulatory self um, self-regulatory body may help us to moderate that content flaggers mm -hmm. and then they have a quick description may must be competent in the subject matters and adequately resourced where you're like okay um, what does that even mean and and then th mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the meat lies and I think you're seeing part of it in the United States as well where we are no longer we you don't you no longer need the big conspiracy. It's sort of like through institutions and certainly yeah. all that muddied funding in Germany. It's very, very easy to do it highly decentralized and thereby um, um, implemented. Probably a couple of thoughts from you, Fabian and Lucas, about probably all that censorship and the role that these all these content moderating organizations and fact checkers and whatnot are playing. Well, um, I'd, I'd be really quick in saying this before um, I'll pass over to Fabian, who I think has more to say on it. Um, I think these official fact-checking organizations, in uh, which which we're still already having, and the ones who will become the new fact-checkers or trusted flaggers, as you say, um, it's a very interesting situation we're experiencing. Simply because uh, you have this economic like. It's, it's like a conundrum of really bad things. At one point you mentioned before, there's like crazy fines if you do not behave the way they expect you to, as uh, so you're incentivized to actually be very strict in what you ban. And number two, you're also outsourcing this to private organizations who might even charge you for this. So you typically um, try to dumb it down to make it cheap. So um, they're simply like, as of right now, they're banning way more than they need to ban or than they, um, should ban simply because they want to avoid um, legal issues. But at the same time, it's not just the execution uh, that is really dangerous. It's also the fact that um, there's so many private organizations aside from the ones who are being paid for, uh, like who do this, <laughs> this is where we're circling back to the beginning, who do this due to public funding, um, like all these fact-checking organizations or like anti, they're like anti-hatred organizations. However, Things that are deemed constitutional um, under the uh, German freedom of speech are things that these people deem unconstitutional or like hate speech. So you have a really quirky, weird situation uh, in which democracy is being dumbed down and like narrowed down. And like the, the channel of acceptable opinions is also just narrowed down. I think um, you experience that people just don't share their opinions anymore. Like um, conservative people leave platforms um, simply realizing that their opinions are the ones being banned despite the fact they're totally legit opinions while at the same time um, you have like 
more left-wing opinions or like not even left-wing opinions just opinions that are like un incompatible with the society in which people work to earn their living in which people actually have something like a private ownership of things um you can tell that these platforms just become crazy platforms like german style twitter is something that's even worse than american style twitter or like americans complain about how twitter has no longer become a platform um where where minds collide or something and german twitter i'm i'm just reading german twitter never would i ever have the idea to tweet anything but um it's just just reading it is pain enough. Uh, we mentioned this um, in an earlier talk, um, Chris and I, how the Ukrainian ambassador Melnik, um, for example, uh, to, the ambassador to Germany, um, posts things, shares things that typically would be flaggable under the net the network execution order. I think, however, simply because he's the Ukrainian ambassador and Ukraine's currently like he's allowed to do whatever like he also has an interview in the german sunday tabloid uh, built am sonntag today in which he's like yeah if i'm not misbehaving i'm not being heard and this is why he's basically um insulting german elected officials and all germans are like yeah okay he's he's the he's the ambassador to ukraine so i guess that's okay so fabian look i uh the, the just quickly on the German Twitter bubble. I remember one of my favorite stories was the the former justice minister, which is sort of like the attorney general, um, Heiko Maas, who then became the, one of the most incompetent foreign ministers we had, basically passed a law regarding Twitter censorship. And it was so strict that he himself got banned from Twitter when he tweeted something out. So it's look again. But there you have this incompetence. I want to just quickly shift back to Merkel one second, because one thing I do want to point out, which is uh, something <laughs> that I found kind of interesting, is I, I do wonder, look, I, when, when we talk about federally funded organizations that sort of have this moral implication to do things, I do wonder how her reaction was when Obama basically told her, that um, she was the so-called leader of the free world, right? I mean, you have. I think I wonder, like, the during the Obama administration's last days in office between November 2016 and then January 2017, these people were probably going crazy and thinking their whole life is ending, their world is ending, and Merkel was Obama's key ally, and she shifted to being the key foe. <laughs> when it when when it came to trump and um there was a um a meeting that took place in in december of 2016 at the adlon in one of the prestigious hotels right at the brandenburg gate in the center of berlin where the obama administration officials told merkel basically she's the leader of the free world and she decided to run again for chancellor in 2017 to sort of counter trump my question though was like how and with what um, so I'm not throwing anything in the room. I'm just saying, um, was there some kind of a moral obligation that these people felt that they had to, that they had to, um, counter the Trump presidency, that they had to protect free speech. Um, I remember, and this is a key thing to remember when Trump won, she gave an 
incredibly arrogant speech the next day when she 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 basically congratulated Donald Trump on terms like I will say this that as long as uh, rights of minorities and the rights of these and 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 as long as all of this is is upheld I will say congratulations you know so mm -hmm. there there was this kind of lecturing all of a sudden of America and even journalists that I remember at the inauguration saying stuff like, I will, um, I will, you know, measure every word that Trump says, and we will, we will, um, we will fight anything that was not true, and we will fight fake news and blah, 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 all of that stuff. So there was that kind of a narrative. So to, to sort of draw a big picture of this whole thing, if there was any connection to that, it must have been basically, as Lucas said, they were just trying to do the good thing, right? They were just trying to save, in their own view, democracy. So that is the only logical explanation that I would have where these people would actually think on a grander scheme. Um, mm -hmm. But, but um, it's probably as more um, banal or just, just bland and boring as we think it, it would be, right? I got one last thing to chime in. I mentioned uh, Twitter before. There's another messenger starting with a T that's really, that was all an uproar um, in January, for example. So Germany got a new government, um, as you all know. And the German Minister of the Interior, which is like the German equivalent to the Homeland Secretary, um, Nancy Faeser from the um, Social Democrat Party, um, she's trying to hit at um, Telegram because Telegram, like, you know, you have all these weird groups on Telegram, um, like mm -hmm. more, more weird groups, less weird groups. And so at one point, uh, Nancy Faser is like, yeah, we need to shut down Telegram. And then like, a, week that, later, yeah. a week later, she's like, uh, she's like uh, going back. No, I just said that. And you know why she said that? Because she felt disrespected and Germany felt disrespected because no one knew how to address a letter to Telegram certifying that it was actually received. Like they, they did not know how to send registered mail to the CEO of Telegram. And this basically tells you how German administration works. Like um, any other country would have shut the thing down just like, like Russia does with all the, um, like how they shut down newspapers and political pages on the sides are like take uh the communist china where they have the great firewall or something germany is like oh yeah we really have an issue with um, unconstitutional content on this platform which might or might not be unconstitutional we might still have to find this out through the courts however at the first point we would like to talk to mr telegram like um germany is like this karen who wants to speak to the manager it is literally a whole country that wants to speak to the manager. Add to this that um, Ms. Faser, I'm very sorry, um, also makes up this uh, behavior and like look and feel of a typical Karen. Um, it really is a tough, it's really tough. Yeah, um, probably to, to chime in and like roughly wrap things up. There's something interesting also, why should an American audience care how we censor and why we censor. Um, and I would say, well, 
I'm going to go, uh, I'm just going to mention the names and I'm not going to bore you with the details of all the recent censorships acts. So the German network execution order was already mentioned a couple of times. There's currently the digital safety act uh, of the EU that can impose up to 6% of annual turnover fines on US companies. And all of this is extraterritorial. You do not need to be in Europe to be fined. Um, so they'll, they'll, and in the past, again, there, there were, it had been debated if certain French laws would actually apply to censoring Google, even in the United States, because nowadays, if it disappears in, you know, I mean, even the German YouTube is far more restricted in terms of choice than the US YouTube. But, you know, if you activate a VPN and you essentially fake an American IP address, you get around that. But all of these acts, be that the new, the new UK Online Safety Act, interesting enough, it used to be called the UK Online Harms Act, but now that it's gone, gone further, it's called Safety Act. So because you don't even have to prove actual harm. So American audience, all of these European censorship laws might actually come back to bite even companies based in the United States. And you need definitely a CEO with quite a bit of spine and proverbial FU money and free speech absolutism to stand up to that. So that's an, a good thing. Probably one more thing about the whole how is, again, so if, if there was ever a doubt that Germany did not have an evil master plan, it's our energy policy. So either way, it's neither green, nor does it benefit countries that we like. It benefits Russia, which we are ostentatiously against and have been since Angela Merkel. But there's one thing about that woman, which is why, I, as I said, in the year 2022, I don't want to exclude anything. I mean, what would have made that woman a prime target and why the, the Obama administration, as the, the uber globalist, did pull that woman and, call, and, and charmed her? You are the leader of the free world. That woman, what's so interesting about her? I only see one recurring threat, a leitmotif, as you fancily say, even in, 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 in the US. Is that woman really dislikes Germany? That woman really dislikes nationalism? And somebody like her with no other convictions, except she doesn't like Germany, she doesn't like nationalism, and might, might have some sort of communist priming, that would have made her the ideal target to, to charm her and to stroke her ego. So there's a good reason why the Obama administration did this. And she became from the most hated woman in Europe during the Greek crisis, suddenly to everybody's darling and sort of the prime pet of the Davos kind of establishment. So I do not want, when it comes to Angela Merkel, entirely exclude <laughs> that there were other influences as well. But as I said, when it comes to most weird German funding influencing things in the US, you do not need uh, the, the one funding. It's so crazy and decentralized and incompetent that you best don't meddle with it. You just let them do what they do and work their magic. Real quick, I have to go, but I, I found the article I was thinking of where my reporter went through and found the original website for Antifa in Seattle and then backed the IP address back uh, or the domain back. And it was originally German and tied to the pirate party. So that, that was the connection. And he has all the breadcrumbs that yeah. go back through that. And Sebastian uh, Ben Utzer, do you know him? Or no. Sebastian Altser, who's some kind of... But EU it wouldn't surprise me that it does originate in Germany. We always had sort mm -hmm. of a very active sort of um, mm -hmm. lefty anarchist kind of um, yeah. hacktivist kind of movement very early on, as late as the nine, as early as the 19, mid 1980s even, and that they and the Pirate Party 
started out as originally left libertarian and then went into a totally different direction. So that doesn't uh, surprise me that that it would come from them. Um, but yeah, so that for us would not really speak for an evil right. public master plan. It's sort of the the usual suspects that would get involved right. in this. And there, there's lots of them in, in Germany. Again, well-resourced, as we said. But uh, yeah. Guys, I have to go. And I got another show in five minutes. So enjoy the time as always. And uh, for our audience, we're going to do this live going forward, maybe. So stay tuned. Take care, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you so, Thank much. so much. You take care. Thank you.